0: Hi there, welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's sermon audio podcast. Tune in this week as Pastor Scott Smith continues his series entitled Christ Esteem. In this sermon entitled, What We Truly Need, Pastor Scott will discuss with us two problems that we have and one solution. We hope this will be a blessing to you. Have a great week.
1: So this morning we are... um We have chosen a theme verse that I've challenged you last week uh, to learn during this series. And the theme verse is Galatians 2.20. So since we're just learning this, let's read it together. If you can put that on the screen for me, if you will. Say it with me. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Listen, that um, kind of sums up what we are talking about in this series. We've begun a new series entitled um, Christ Esteem. Uh, We talked last week about why uh, self-esteem is lacking And the fallacy of self-esteem. And so I would encourage you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to that or watch that, go back and and watch that when you get an opportunity. But this morning, I want to kind of continue in that theme. And I want to talk about where our confidence, uh, the confidence we're all looking for, really needs to come from. In his book, The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness, Tim Keller writes this. He says, when I was in high school, My mother would say things like, you know, honey, you ought to join the chess club. Anybody get encouraged by their mothers, right? Our mother's always encouraging us to do stuff. Honey, you ought to enjoy the chess, uh, go join the chess club. He said, I would say, mom, I hate chess, which she would follow with something like this. Yes, I know, honey, but it will look so good on your college application, right? She said she would try again. Don't they feed the homeless and hungry downtown every Saturday morning? Why don't you go volunteer for that? To which he'd respond, Mom, I hate that kind of thing. (laughs) He said he would get the same response. I know, honey, but it will look so good on your college application. So he says, at school, I did all sorts of things that I had absolutely no interest in doing for themselves. I only did them for my mom or to put together a resume, right? Anybody do stuff like that, right? I'm sure we all have various things that we could put on our life resume that we've done in our lives, but we did them just so it would look good on our resume or maybe so that we would feel good about ourselves. He goes on to say this. Uh, He says, this is what our egos are doing all the time. We're doing jobs we have no pleasure in doing. We're doing diets we take no pleasure in. We're doing all kinds of things, not for the pleasure of doing them, but because we're trying to put together an impressive life resume. By comparing ourselves to other people and trying to make ourselves look better than others, we are simply trying to create a resume, a life resume to give us self-esteem because we are desperate to fill our sense of inadequacy and emptiness. You know what the problem with it is? The problem with our life resumes are that many times they are simply just a facade. They're just a front. It's just a picture of what we want other people to see and how we want other people to perceive us. Friends, we talked last week about the fact that we cannot give ourselves what we truly need. Uh, Even if we fill that resume to the brim, even if we do everything we can to try to make ourselves feel better, we can try, friends, but we cannot give ourselves the confidence we're looking for. We cannot find in ourselves, in self, the confidence that we're looking for. You know why? Because deep down, I believe not only do we all feel inadequate, but deep down, we all know we are inadequate. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I think maybe last week I had a couple conversations, which is good. I love to have conversations after a sermon because it means you're thinking about what we've talked about. Um, but I think after that, maybe some, some of you have misunderstood a little bit. Um, I'm not saying we don't need confidence. I'm not saying that, that God doesn't want to give us that confidence. What I want to challenge in that is where we're getting our confidence from. Uh, so uh, we need to realize, friends, none of us are perfect. Amen? We know that. None of us are perfect. None of us are good enough. None of us have all the answers. None of us are adequate in and of ourselves. However, we're all good at putting on a front. We're all good at impressing other people. We're all good at making ourselves look good in front of others and pretending like we have all the answers, pretending like we have it all together. We're good at building the kind of resume which will make us look good. Right? Right? Put some community service on there, a few degrees, a member of this organization, or that organization involved in PTA, a volunteer for this. I've donated to that. And guess what? I've got an impressive resume. The reality is that there's, while there's probably some impressive stuff on there, the question is, why are we doing that stuff? Are we doing it? Here's my, normally it's for one of two reasons, maybe both reasons. We're doing all that stuff, number one, to impress other people, or number two, many times to do what? Make ourselves feel good. Friends, true freedom doesn't come until we stop pretending, until we stop creating this facade, this front that we want other people to see, until we're willing to admit who we really are, until we're willing to admit our failures, our inadequacies, our shortcomings, our weaknesses, and own them and be real about it. And then ask God for help. Stop pretending we have all the answers and until we're willing to lean on his power and his feeling to enable us to do what he's called us to do, amen? It's kind of what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk to you about how do we get there? How do we get from trying to do all this stuff just to impress other people to having genuine, real confidence in life? I want to talk to you this morning. Um, you know, normally I say we've got three facets or three signs or three truths or whatever. Well, this morning we've got two problems and a solution, okay? And so, um, it's kind of what we have this morning. Number one, if you've got your outline, um, take a look at this with me if you will. Number one, the first problem is this, friends. The first problem is, I, what I see is that we, we try all sorts of ways to reform ourselves. We, whether you want to use the word reform, improve, um, change, our world tells us that we can do this. Our world tells us that you can fix yourself, that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? That you can make improvements, that you can become a better person, that we don't need God, that we can reform ourselves through our own effort. In fact, Several years ago, I don't know if they're still up or not, but uh, several years ago, I know in Chicago and around, um, some atheist groups put up billboards saying this you can be good without God. Remember seeing those around? They're trying to encourage people saying, listen, you can be a good person without God. Um, the problem is that many people buy into that. Um, we're told we can. We're told that we can be a good person. We're told we can reform ourselves. We're told that we can do this through, through several ways. This is not um, all-encompassing, but I want to talk to you about it. a couple of the ways that we're told we do it. Number one, we're told we can do this through education, right? We're told that we can become a better person through education. That if we'll just educate people, on the dangers of drugs or alcohol or whatever, then they won't have to do those bad things and make bad choices anymore. That education is the way to being a better person. Go ahead and hit the next slide, if you will. Uh, that education is the way to being a better person. Friends, the problem with this is making us smarter doesn't make us more moral, right? Right? You know, getting education doesn't change our ethics. It doesn't remove the desire to do what we want to do, and it doesn't remove that, it doesn't do anything about our sin nature. Not only are we told that we can do this through education, but sometimes we're told we can do this through self-help books and stuff, right? If we'll just learn more about our problem, first of all, we got to find out about our problem and we got to find out what the triggers are for our problem and what causes those problems and then we need to understand what a proper response should be and how we should respond and if we understand all those things then we'll do better maybe for a little while until the urge to do what we want to do gets so strong that we just go back to what we did before we're also told that that we can do this through the power of positivity Some people say and teach that, listen, if we'll just think positive about things, if we'll keep, in fact, maybe you hear it this way, you just got to keep the negative thoughts out. It's the negativity that leads us down those bad roads. And if we can just think positive and we can get on a positive trajectory, we can think that we can do it and we can think about positive. Listen, it used to be called what, uh, way back, it was the Norman Vincent Peale stuff, right? Uh, the power of positive thinking. But now it's been, been ever so tweaked to positivity. Um, get, put the negativity aside. Here's the problem with that. The, if we'll do that, they say we'll stay on track. The problem is then why are so many people off track? Fourth thing I believe we see that that we're told we can do this through friends is through rehab. Through rehab. Through rehabilitation. There's all sorts of different kinds of rehabilitation. Um, not talking about physical re- rehabilitation, but whether it's through mental or emotional or psychological or, or substance abuse rehabilitation. Rehab is a general term that's used for intensive supervised programs designed to help people Stop something and start doing things the right way, whether it's stop drugs or stop alcohol or stop substance abuse or stop being a sex addict or whatever it is and and train ourselves to be a better person and to give people the tools they need to live a healthy life. Now, sometimes this can be good. Sometimes rehab can be good if it's, it's faith-based, if it's if it's um, got some good underpinnings in it, and, and if it's not just focused on surface stuff, if it's... If it's um, it depends on whether people focus on the real root of the real problem or just surface stuff. But just trying to change people's behavior without dealing with the root cause does no, doesn't change anything, right? It does no good. As human beings, we try all sorts of different ways to reform ourselves, friends. We try all sorts of different stuff to try to be a better person in an attempt to improve and reform ourselves and to become the person that we think we ought to be and to become the person that we think God will accept. But in the end, does it move the needle? Does it really change us? Does it truly transform us? Dr. William Beterwolf once said this. He said, Every creature born into this world has a nature after its kind. What you think about that just for me? He says, Every creature born into this world has a nature after its kind. He goes on, he says, you can't train a bird to crawl. For the same reason you can't, you can't train a snake to fly, right? He said, Tru to it, true to its nature, a caterpillar crawls, right? But when we see him fly, we don't say, man, what, a, what an accomplished caterpillar. That caterpillar has taught himself to fly. We don't say that, right? Why? We say the creature has been changed. He's been transformed. He's been, you could say, born again because he's now a butterfly and he now has a new nature. Dr. Beter um, goes on to say the same thing is true of the natural and the spiritual man. We have a nature, a natural nature, if you will, a fleshly nature and a spiritual nature if we know Christ as our Savior. Um, here's the way God's word states this. I want you to look at a couple of verses on the screen with me, if you will. First Corinthians chapter two says this, the natural man, the physical man, this body, we talked about this um several weeks ago the body that has breath does not receive the things of the spirit of god for they are foolishness to him nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned but he who is spiritual judges all things so uh, in our physical body just physically um if we don't know christ as our savior we're not going to be able to understand um spiritual things uh, many i know many people uh, many unbelievers who said, I've read the Bible from one, I, I just, I don't understand what the big deal is about it. You know what the scripture says? The, scriptures, the Bible says that we're not going to be able to understand uh, the deep truths of scripture until we have the spirit of God living in us. Until we've been born again. So, there's a natural man, a physical man, and a spiritual man. A natural nature and a fi- spiritual nature. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 7 here says this, the carnal mind, that physical mind, the, 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 um, the, 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 the natural mind is enmity or hostility against God, for it is not subject or submissive to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. So in and of ourselves, according to that verse, if it's true, can we in and of ourselves do things to please God? No. We can't. Then why do we try? Because we think we can reform ourselves. Friends, we can't truly understand spiritual things unless we have the Spirit of God living in us. There is nothing we can do in this body, in and of ourselves, to reform ourselves, to improve ourselves enough to be good enough for God. I want you to look now at Titus chapter 3, our main verse. Text for this morning says this. Verse three says, for we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Talks about kind of how we were before we knew Christ. But when the kindness and love of God, our savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Notice there, not by works of righteousness we have done. Amen? No amount of effort on our part, no amount of effort in trying to improve our fallen nature can reform us to be where we need to be. We cannot get there on our own. It can't serve as a substitute for the work of God within us when God transforms us. Amen? In other words, The best rehabbed person in the world, the best educated person in the world, the best reformed person in the world can never measure up to God's standards, friends, because we all still have a self-focused, self-centered heart working inside of us. That is the problem. Number two. The second problem I believe we run into is this, friends. It is that human reformation is merely external. Human reformation is merely external. So some people may say, but pastor, um, there are non-Christians who do good things in the world. Sure there are. Uh, It's not that that we can't do good things. It's not that we can't train ourselves to do better. It's not that we can't train ourselves to perform better. We can and often do. Friends, humans do Some good things, especially humanly speaking. But we can't train ourselves or reform ourselves or improve ourselves enough, friends, to fix the problem within us. There's always going to be a problem within us until we allow God to do his work in us. Unfortunately, there are many in our world today who teach human reform and self-help Who think they are godly, or who think that they are teaching others to be godly, when in reality they are not? Um, Some of these are secular people who claim to have answers and claim to have truth. Experts, right? Listen, in today's world, if we put put, if we put the word "expert" on somebody, everybody looks at them, and thinks, "Oh my goodness, they must know everything." Not always true. Okay, in fact, very rarely true. Just means that they spend a lot more time reading than you than you have. Um, TV personalities, there are many people out there that want to lead us down that road of self-help or trying to reform ourselves. There are even some who fall under the Christian moniker. Unfortunately, some pastors, people of faith, that teach that we can learn how to be the best person we can be and that we can reform ourselves. And it may be put something like this. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sins so that you can then be the best person you can be. That sounds wonderful theology, right? Just a little bit off. Look, want you to listen to what God's word has to say about this and us if we try to do it that way. Look at what God's word says in 2 Timothy chapter 3. Go ahead and flip to the next screen if you don't mind. 2 Timothy 3 says this. It says, "But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come, for men men will be what? Lovers of themselves." If you've got your Bible there and you're looking at 2 Timothy 3, underline that. I mean, man, does that describe our world and our... just Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal despisers, or good traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. And look at verse 5. Look at what it says here. It says, having a form of godliness... In other words, there's going to be many people out there in the world today who are teaching you things on how to live that appear to be godly, appear that they're teaching you the right thing, but denying its power thereof. In other words, what they're really teaching is hooey. Looked up that definition later, all right? There's many things that people are teaching out in the world today that say this is the way to go, this is what you need. You need education, you need self-help, you need to be positive, you need all this stuff, and then you can be who. You are intended to be, but guess what? It is empty is what the scripture tells us. And if we follow that, friends, we need to be careful. This next verse I believe is something we all just need to remember so many times. First Corinthians chapter ten, verse twelve says this says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stand take heed lest he what falls. Friends, we need to be careful, lest we get puffed up. And think we know we need to come to God's word. Amen. We need to let God teach us. Friends, I think one of the biggest problems in our world today is that we don't realize how messed up we are on the inside. We think we can fix ourselves up. We think we can reform ourselves. We do what the world says we should do in order to become a better person. And we start to feel better about ourselves, right? you know what? Yeah, I I, I did that. I helped out at the homeless shelter, you know, and I give money to this and I do that and whatever. And we look at the few good things we've done and we think, man, you know what? I'm not a bad guy. And we say, look at what a great person I am. When deep down, many times we've just done it to make us feel better. We're still self-centered and self-focused on the inside. Comic genius, Bill Murray, remember him? Um, Still out there, still acting, I believe. Made his mark on film, Saturday Night Live, Groundhog Day, things like that. Murray is one of the most well-known actors working today. Has failed to find lasting relationships in his life. In an interview with Vanity Fair, Bill Murray shares what his underlying issue is in confronting his difficulties with commitment. What keeps him from committing? Here's what he says. He says, what stops any of us? It's that we're really kind of ugly on the inside. If we look really hard, we're not who we think we are, and we're not as wonderful as we think we are. Props to you, Bill Murray, for admitting that. Friends, um, that's honesty, amen? That's where we all need to get to. We need to realize, listen, why do we need to be, care- even after we're saved, listen, uh, we're still living in these physical bodies and yes, we have a new nature, but we, that, that, that sinful nature in these human bodies is still. So we need to put protections to place in our lives. Even after we're saved, as we continue to grow, we need to rely on Christ. Remember, it's not I who live, but Christ lives in me. A 1961 research project. Some of you may have seen something about this before. 1961 research project asked ordinary people to do something really bad. They asked these people were asked to send extremely painful electric shocks to a stranger. In other words, they were asked to hurt somebody else with an electric shock. Unbeknownst to them, they were just fake shocks and the people they were sending the fake shocks to were just actors who were pretending to be hurt, okay? I'm sure the researchers didn't want to get blamed for all of that, okay? But do you understand kind of what's going on here? Unbelievably, 65% of the participants cooperated and went along with sending the shocks. Now, I would imagine if I took a poll right now most all of you would say, Pastor, I'd never do something like that, right? Most of us think that we would be in the 35% who refuse to go along with the program. However, in his essay, and I love the title of this essay, You're Not As Virtuous As You Think, Nitin Noria, the dean of the Harvard Business School, says, Don't be so sure. He says that there is a gap, there's a name for the gap between how people believe they would behave and how they actually behave. You know what he calls it? Moral overconfidence. Moral overconfidence. He says that in the lab or in the classroom and beyond, we tend to be actually less virtuous than we think we are. And a little moral humility could benefit us all. He says moral overconfidence is on display in all sorts of life, in politics, in business, in sports, really in all aspects of life, he says there are political candidates who say they won't use attack ads until when? Late in the race, when they're behind in the polls, their moral overconfidence is overrun by their desire to win, and they do it anyway. Over and over again, he says, studies show that we as human beings tend to have in general an inflated view of ourselves. We rate ourselves as above average, above average drivers, above average investors, above average employees, and yes, above average people, even though he says math dictates that can't be true of all of us. We can't all be above average, right? Just do the math. We can't all be there. We're not all, we're not as virtuous as we think. Friends, what we all really need is a reality check. Amen. We need a reality check. We need to realize that our own goodness is not as good as we think it is. As we talked about this last week, that on our best day, our righteousnesses, Isaiah tells us, are as filthy rags before God. We think we're earning brownie points, yet we're doing it for our own selves And friends, everything that we're doing, it's just superficial. It's just external. And it doesn't really get to the heart of the problem. The reality is, friends, we stand utterly sinful in desperate need of God to do something to help us. Because we can't reform, improve, change, or fix ourselves. Amen? We stand utterly hopeless before a holy God. That leads us to number three. I told you I was going to give you two problems and a solution. Here's the solution. Number three. Friends, what we truly need, what every single one of us needs, is a regeneration of the heart. We need to be regenerated. We need a changed heart. Very simply put, we can't, many people think they have to fix themselves up before they come to God, right? Right? Well, pastor, I would, you know, I'd come to church, I'd, I'd come and I'd give my life to the Lord, but there's some things I got to get in order first. That's kind of usually how we say it, right? Some things I got I to gotta get right first. Friends, that's not how it works. We don't fix ourselves up to come to God. We come to God to let him fix us up because we can't. We don't need reformation, friends. We need transformation. I want you to look at this verse with me. You know it. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Go ahead and to the next one, please. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become what? New. So, friends, that's what we need. Amen. We need to be made new. And how are we done this? The scripture tells us we need to be in Christ. It's we need God to change us and transform us from the inside out friends not just us working to improve ourselves but God changing our hearts. The question is how does that happen? Let's look again at Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 verse 3 says this says for we ourselves were also we read this already once what Foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures. Go down to verse 4. It says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. How? Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So, in addition to what we learned just a minute ago, we learned a couple of more things here, Right? We learn how has he saved us. He saves us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So, first of all, we learn this is an act of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That God's Spirit needs to do a work in us whereby we are what? We are renewed, where we are made new, and we are washed right through the washing of regeneration that's what baptism symbolizes it's not um, physical baptism is not literal it represents the spiritual baptism or the spiritual washing by the holy spirit when we are regenerated okay it says through the washing of regeneration um, that's just the work of the holy spirit interestingly the word regeneration comes from two greek words it, one word, Palingenea, comes from two words: Palin, which means anew or again, and Genesis what word is that in English? Genesis, right? Okay? Which means um, origin or lineage or birth. So Palin, anew again, origin or birth. So it is speaking of, 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 of something new happening, uh, a, a new birth. We heard about that before somewhere, right? There's the, it's talking about the transformation that takes place in the heart of an individual when he or she responds in faith to Christ. Jesus talks about this to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. Turn over there with me if you will. John chapter 3. Listen, you need to know this passage. You need to know this passage as much or as more than any other passage in all of Scripture. Okay. John chapter three, man by the name of Nicodemus, a very religious guy, a spiritual guy, comes to Jesus. He comes at night. Why? Because he was a Pharisee and all the other Pharisees, he didn't want them to know he was coming because they hated Jesus. And so he came to Jesus at night because he was curious. He thought, man, there's something really special about this guy. In fact, when he comes to Jesus, he says this. He says, Jesus, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because you couldn't do the things that you're doing if you weren't. In other words, he saw the miracles and things Jesus is doing. He said, we, we know there's something special about you. Now, I don't know really what he was going to ask after that, but J- Jesus kind of interrupts him with this here in chapter, chapter 3, verse 3. And Jesus says this, Nicodemus, most assuredly I say to you, unless you are born again, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so Jesus kind of cuts right to the chase. Nicodemus was all about being religious. He was all about trying to be the perfect guy. He was all about the resume. He was all about the front and what people saw. And Jesus said, Nicodemus, you can't be a part of the kingdom of God unless you're born again. All the stuff that you are trusting in, believing in, all of that is nothing. But You got to be born again. Now this threw Nicodemus for a loop. It kind of shocked him up. Nicodemus said, born again, Jesus, what are you talking about? In fact, people say the, the, the scripture's not funny. Friends, this is funny. You mothers, however, are not gonna find this funny on Mother's Day, okay? You know what happened, right? Nicodemus says, and you can see, he's just, he'd have to have a puzzled look. I don't know that you could say what he's getting ready to say um, without being confused. Nicodemus says to Jesus, Jesus, are you saying that I, you have to, a man has to go back into his mother's womb and be born again? to which all the mothers say, no, right? And absolutely not. Um, Jesus had to chuckle at that moment. <laughs> pff, pff, no, Nicodemus. I don't know, maybe he didn't. I, I don't know, scripture doesn't tell us. But uh, basically, here's what Jesus says after that. No, Nicodemus, you don't have to be born physically again, okay? You can't be born physically again, Right? But yeah, hallelujah, my wife says. She's done, she says, completely. You don't have to be born physically again, but you do have to be born physically. He says, yes, you have to be born of water, but you also have to be born of what? Of the Spirit. Friends, we're all born of water. That's the physical birth. He says, but you also have to be born of the Spirit. In other words, it's not through osmosis, it's not through education, it's not even memorizing the Bible from front cover to back cover. Now, Being in God's word will help and transform you and bring about the new birth, friends. But reading it and just knowing it doesn't uh, doesn't do that, friends. It is allowing the spirit of God to do his work in us and where we become born again. You may ask, how exactly does that happen? Well, Jesus goes on to talk about, listen, the spirit moves where he wills. And we don't know, just like we don't know where the wind comes from and all of that. Um, the spirit moves as God wishes. But he goes on down in verse 14 to tell us something very interesting. And he spells it out. In fact, he says, Nicodemus asks that question. And Jesus says, Nicodemus, you're a teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? You know, Nicodemus, it would have been very easy for him. I give Nicodemus props. It had been very easy for Nicodemus to be um, prideful and walk away, but he didn't. And Jesus says this to him in verse 14. Jesus says, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. You remember that story? Maybe you don't. Let me give you just a brief synopsis. Here it is. The Israelites were complaining. Newsflash, right? They loved to complain out in the wilderness. And when they were complaining, that this time when they complained, God sent fiery serpents among them to bite them as a punishment for that, and some of them began to die. Guess what? Uh, they very quickly said, ah, we're going to stop complaining. They went to Moses. They said, Moses, go to God. We're sorry. We're repentant. We're not going to do that again. And Moses went to God and said, God, listen, they're sorry. What can, can we do something about this? And here's what God told Moses. God told Moses to go and get a, to make a bronze serpent on a pole and put it up on a pole in the middle of the camp. And so that when anybody ever, when anybody got bitten, they, if they would look at the bronze serpent. They would be healed, and they wouldn't die. Interestingly enough, I think it is interesting. Listen, we have a, we have a tendency when we have problems like snakes to look down, don't we? We have a difficulty looking up. But Jesus says that that story gives us an illustration. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Very simply, where was Jesus lifted up? On the cross, Amen lifted up on the cross. Where are we to look? We are to look to him on the cross. Not that he stayed there, but he rose from the grave. But what he did on the cross paid the penalty for our sins. So we must also, he must be lifted up so that whosoever believes in him, looks to him and believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, how are we born again? We must believe that he is who he said he is, that he did what he said he did. Believe that it is not through our own merit, not through our own reform, not through improving ourselves, none of that stuff friends, but it is only through the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us on the cross that we can be saved. And when we respond in faith saying, yes, God, I believe that. Jesus, I believe that you are who you said you are. You did what you said you did. And I'm not trusting in myself. I'm gonna trust in you. Boom, at that moment, when we respond in faith, the Holy Spirit does a miracle in our heart. I don't know how to explain it. I don't even know how to tell you any more than what I'm telling you right now. But when we respond in faith, the Holy Spirit transforms us. He regenerates us. It is a work that he does in our lives that when we surrender to his lordship and we are born into his family, we go from death to life, all of our sins are forgiven and we become a child of God. Friends, it's not possible in and of ourself. It's only possible for him. That's the good news, amen? And it is possible for you today. How many of you here, how many of you watching online been trying over and over again, man, I got to do this. I got to do better. I got to be a better person. Even while even some, maybe while you think you're trusting in Christ, that's not what you have to do. You need to just bring it all to him. Just lay it all before the Lord and say, Lord, this is me. I've tried it my way. It doesn't work. I'm giving it all to you and let him, Lord, do your work in me, save me, renew me, regenerate me, make me your child. Friends, Whosoever calls on the Lord, Romans 10, 13 says, will be saved. God will do that work in your heart and in your life. I want to close this morning by sharing the story of a man, um, by the man of, of, uh, uh, of the name John Joseph. In high school, John writes, he says, my life revolved around sports and popularity. It unfortunately got out of control, but got further and further out of control with each passing year in high school. He said, the weekend parties of my freshman year became week-long parties by my senior year as casual drinking metastasized into alcoholism. He said, I began selling drugs and was introduced to cocaine. He said, cocaine then stole my soul. I started selling cocaine. He said, I became a monster, a liar, a thief. I used everyone and everything to serve myself. He said, I didn't care who I hurt. He said, I decided to make drastic changes and enlisted in the Coast Guard. He says, although boot camp gave me some much needed structure and discipline, it couldn't change my heart. He said, I fell back into the same way of living. Then God put another young man by the name of Art Thompson in my life. He said, Art was a young kid who had just joined the Coast Guard. Art loved Jesus. And he, he said, he even loved me. <laughs> He, Art faithfully shared the gospel with me. He said, always making a point to say, hey, Jesus loves you, bro. He described how Jesus had changed his life. Art had a serious joy. He said that I wanted in my own life. I just didn't know how to get it. In 2008, he says, I was restationed to California. And despite the change in scenery, the same problems with drinking and drugs followed me. But then he says, I started attending church. The problem, however, was that I still thought of the gospel as a call to change myself through willpower. I stopped drinking, I stopped doing drugs, and started exercising some self-control in those areas to the point where I figured I had saved myself. And then, however, the bottom fell out. While celebrating New Year's Eve, he said, with some old friends, a round of casual drinking turned into an all-out binge. I was so drunk, he said, that I blacked out. I drove home in a state of despair, Convinced, I could never truly change, Arriving back, I thought I would listen to a sermon to clear my mind. I'd learned about a preacher by the name of John Piper. Before long, he said, I found myself captivated. Piper's preaching about God, sin, justice, and hell was unlike anything he says I'd ever heard. For the first time, I understood that I was guilty of more than just doing bad things. I had sinned against a holy God and deserved his judgment. Two two nights later, he said, I listened to another Piper sermon, one on John 3.16. Piper preached, depending on how we respond to that, we will either spend eternity with God in heaven or eternity separated from him in hell. He says, I distinctly remembering time slowing down to a crawl as he said those words. I was replaying the last 10 years of my life, the lying the drunkenness, the drug use, all my terrible sins against God. I felt the crushing weight of it, and I knew I was going to hell. He said, and then I knew I wasn't, as he responded to faith in Christ. He says, the burden of my sin instantly fell off, replaced with the knowledge that Jesus was now my Lord and God had saved me. That moment, that moment in time led to an immediate and radical change as God removed my heart of stone and gave me a heart of flesh and set me free from my sin. Friends, John Joseph had very simply been born again. And guess what? You can as well. By understanding the magnitude of your sin against God, realizing that there's no way in and of yourself you can save yourself, but it's only by the grace of God and what Christ did on the cross that pays for your sins, that Almighty God, even though you deserve death, hell, and judgment, is willing to accept his son's death on your behalf and in your place and as payment for your sin. And friends, if you'll believe that and trust in that, then you too can experience that new birth. Where are you today? Friends, no amount of personal reformation, no amount of fixing ourselves up can make us right with God. We don't, fi- As I said before, we don't fix ourselves up to come to God. We bring ourselves to God and let him do what? Fix us up. Do you need to do that
0: today? Thanks so much for listening. And as Pastor Scott said, if you have never put your faith in Jesus, we encourage you to faith in Him, to trust Him, to forgive you of your sins, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Don't wait to fix yourself up, but come to Him to be made new. If you'd like to talk to one of our pastors about how you can take your next steps with Jesus, we are available at southsidesbc.org, or you can call our church phone number at 574-291-1665. Please remember to leave us a positive review on iTunes and subscribe for more podcasts. Have a great week.